1: Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics
0: with a side of Latin flair. I, just, I don't
2: have to show you any stinking brushes.
0: This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: Hour two on Cinco de Mayo, a Friday. Glad you've joined us, everybody, for the Chris Salcedo Show. Telephone numbers AAA 93393 8-900-3393. Catch up with the show on Facebook, The Chris Salcedo Show, and on Twitter at Chris Salcedo TX. Um, 1970s. Mid to early, uh, early to mid 1970s. There was a, a movement to give a conservative voice some time on, on the airwaves. And The former governor of California, Ronald Reagan, was tapped to do a a daily commentary where he'd visit with with folks in afternoon drive right around this time. And radio stations all over the country would be able to sponsor it. And that's before we went to the break. That's what that was the setup. You would Ronald Reagan would come in, give a tease and they'd have a little commercial playing in the middle. And then Ronald Reagan would come back to give his ideas on the issues of the day. Now. What you're going to find so striking when I play this, this this, segment from his collected speeches called Reagan in His Own Voice, which is a, a companion to Reagan in His Own Hand, which is a written book, speeches written out by, by Ronald Reagan and his commentaries written out. Actually, I think it was exclusively commentaries. These are the audio versions. Of the commentaries, those that could be rescued, and what a fantastic um, collection, Chiron Skinner put together. Of, uh, of judge, I mean, he talks about all manner of things in this collection. If you don't have Reagan in his own voice, I highly, highly suggest it, because the way Congress is going today. And because you know, we've got elected leaders who aren't even not even talking about getting the debt under control. History and these tapes may be the only, other than talk radio, maybe the only uh source for conservative thought. Certainly you can't find much of it in the in the ranks of of Republicans these days. So here, here is Ronald Reagan, and the topic is socialized medicine and remember the 1970s is when this commentary was penned and enunciated and wait till you hear how many similarities are between then and today but the difference between then and today is then people stood up and said no today nobody's fighting for these principles
2: The campaign goes on to bring health care in America out of the free market system and into the protective custody of government. Those who brought us the Postal Service and Amtrak are anxious to provide medical service of the same high caliber. What is hard to understand, or come to think of it may not be so hard to understand, is the American Medical Association's reluctance to fight back.
3: The AMA, the American Medical Association, who came out when the rumors started Circulating that the Republicans had a deal and that they were going to vote on this, the AMA said, "Nope, we want socialism. We want social. We want government involved in your health care." Said the American Medical Association, as did AARP. By the way, I highly suggest the conservative alternatives to those groups for your patronage. AARP and the American Medical Association have betrayed this nation. They have betrayed this nation in jumping in bed with resident Obama and the traitorous insurance companies. And they may have won. This is, this is why I sounded so depressed is the wrong word. Just not happy yesterday because this, a signal has been sent that perhaps conservatism is lost. The free market is lost And that these sellouts at the American Medical Association and AARP, along with their allies in the Democrat Party and the extremist left-wing in this country and the likes of Obama, have won. There is no equivalent to Ronald Reagan, and the left-wing is taking full advantage of it, because I I cannot... he, He was on talk radio, well, the precursor to talk radio here, folks, but as... Many of you would remember he spoke just as eloquently about conservatism in, in a way that people got. They understood it. But uh, even back then, the AMA, and, and you're going to hear Reagan give them the benefit of the doubt, saying they are war weary, you know, because of these constant pushes of leftists trying to abandon the free market and healthcare. And the AMA used to be. One of the the biggest proponents of the free market system in medical care. Not anymore. As I said, they're sellouts now. But even back then, they were showing signs of buckling.
2: After decades of all-out war against socialized medicine, is it possible that combat fatigue has set in? Heaven knows the energy and determination of those who want to put government in charge of our health has been untiring and persistent. The Medical Association gave in to war weariness and endorsed a national health insurance bill, which would force all employers to provide health insurance benefits for their employees. Probably the association figured government would have less chance to interfere in the doctor patient relationship under.
3: That, by the way, before he continues, does that sound familiar? Government stepping in, forcing employers to provide for insurance for their employees? Yep, Obamacare, again, this is the 1970s
2: under such a program. Someplace along the line, however, the troops rallied and the association withdrew its support of the bill. But the defense line once breached is hard to restore. The insurance business, which should be opposed to government medicine, is supporting a bill which, just by coincidence, I'm sure, calls for a heavy government subsidy for the buying of private health insurance.
3: Sound familiar? Obamacare. The insurance industry back in the 1970s trying to foist this on the American people, where they would have government force you to buy their crappy product. They didn't succeed back then. They succeeded in 2009. And what Crownhammer said yesterday, and what I said yesterday, in so doing, they changed the complexion of the United States of America, where now people feel entitled to have Health care and health insurance paid for by somebody else and given to them. It's a right, they think. They're wrong, but they think this. And if we think it, and thus we must be able to impose it through force of government. There were no cooler heads. There was no sanity in this debate, either yesterday or back in 2008, 2009. But back in the 70s, there was.
2: Much of the opposition to government medicine has been based on the better quality of medicine we have here in America, where the providing of health care is still largely in the free market. On these broadcasts, I've tried to debunk the claims of the socialized medicine advocates by citing comparisons between medical quality, availability, and cost here and in other countries. A typical example is an incident told by Congressman Bob Bauman. On a trip to England, he asked an Englishwoman, attractive except for some facial scars, what she thought of their National Health Service. She approved of it and said, well, we all get our medical care free, you know.
3: Free. We all get. Now, she had some scars on her face because she didn't get timely care. But, you know, it was free. Which is where we are going in the United States of America. Oh, yeah. It, it's it, well, look, look at the Obamacare plans, the bronze, the silver, the gold. You have to buy a whole bunch of garbage you don't need. They're crap. Oh, but it's free, you know, for some folks. It's free, you know. That's that's the allure. Yes, it's crap, but it's free. Yes, it's, I, I don't get to see a doctor, but I have insurance. More people are insured under Obamacare. Congratulations, can you see a doctor? Well, no, but I'm insured. Terrific.
2: That isn't true, of course. They're taxed far more heavily than we are, and their health service takes a big bite of those taxes. Then she said, it is rather slow. I had to wait eight years for an appointment with a dermatologist about my face.
3: Eight years? Folks, back in the 1970s, this, this was forecasting. You go down this road, and this is what you get you you can look over in europe right now and you see the horror story after horror story after horror story from their government run healthcare institutions and people over here in america go yeah i want that <laughs> i want that the idiots in america actually think I'm, I'm talking about the libs of course and now it seems the republican party has joined them who actually think that socialism can be perfected
2: she then had to wait another year before treatment could begin. She repeated, though, quote, but it is free, unquote. There's another argument against socialized medicine which hasn't been used as much as it should when you think of the sense of fair play that is characteristic of Americans. George Meany of the AFL-CIO is all out for a national health plan. But how would he react if someone proposed that the skilled workers he represents would have to become government employees to practice their skill? Do any of us have the right to tell the members of any profession or trade they must become government employees in order to pursue their chosen work? Of course, we all want to ensure that no one is denied needed medical care because of poverty. And we've done better than most countries to provide that care. But wouldn't it violate everything we believe in to adopt a system based on the idea that the patients have a right to a doctor's services without regard for his right to say how and on what terms those services will be delivered? This is Ronald Reagan. Thanks for listening.
3: There was just a news report last night on Fox News detailing how in rural America it takes a lot of these people hours to travel to, to uh, a city or a town where there's a doctor because they live so far out to go see a doctor. Well, that's not fair. That's not fair. Government's going to fix it. Once we turn it all over to government, then government will be telling doctors, oh, I know you'd like to live in Chicago, or I can't imagine anybody wanting to live there, but I'm just giving that as an example. Uh, Or you want to live in San Diego, or you want to live in Manchester, you want to live in uh, Dallas. Sorry, you're needed in Tuscaloosa, Ohio. (laughs) And you must go there, if you want to continue to practice medicine, that is. It's not too far off, folks. Just one of the many reasons why I'm begging, I'm imploring the Republicans, turn around somebody, for God's sakes. Stand up and say no more. I'll be right back.
0: Dial in, let it out. 888-900-3393. This is The Chris Salcedo Show, part of Generation Blaze, on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love.
4: Chris
3: Salcedo Show. Listen, dial, speak. 888 3393 Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This coming down earlier today, this can't be good. A federal judge ordered the Department of State to release new emails stored on former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's private server regarding the 2012 attack at Benghazi. According to a nonprofit government watchdog group, two previously unreleased emails have a subject line quick summary of POTUS calls to presidents of Libya and Egypt and were sent two days after terrorist attack the U.S. Embassy in Benghazi on September the 11th, 2012, according to Judicial Watch. God Bless Judicial Watch for doing the jobs Republicans won't do. You know what? We've got to give employees of Judicial Watch uh, in-state tuition. We've got to give employees of Judicial Watch uh, uh, free college education, the way some are proposing to give to illegal aliens, because Judicial Watch is doing is doing the job that Republicans won't do. <laughs> The full emails may reveal what former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and President Obama knew about the September 11th, 2012 terror attack on the U.S. mission in Benghazi. The records were released after Judicial Watch sued the State Department following its claim that the deliberative process exemption under the Freedom of Information Act a justified redaction. The Department of Justice asked the court to keep the emails secret and argue that they accidentally failed to withhold the material because it contains classified material. Right. (laughs) That was during the Obama era. Uh, Let's see. Oh, uh, congratulations to Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski. The uh, Republican, I'm making air quotes with my fingers, scarborough and the liberal elitist brzezinski are hitched Or well they're going to get hitched they're betrothed I, I i gotta admit i didn't see that coming it, typically it's it's never a good idea to to get into a relationship with somebody to work with i mean what just say what happens if the marriage doesn't necessarily work out and I'm not wishing don't get me wrong here folks I'm not wishing them ill will at all I'm just saying that what happens you know to to the show it just adds a a whole new layer wouldn't you say I'm just I'm just saying US job growth rebounds sharply unemployment rate hits 4.4% US job growth rebounded sharply in April and the unemployment rate dropped to 4.4%, near a 10-year low, pointing to a tightening labor market that likely seals the case for an interest rate increase next month, despite the moderate wage growth. Nonfarm payroll surged by 211,000 jobs last month after a paltry gain of 79,000 in March. The Labor Department said this on Friday. April's jobs growth, which was broad-based, surpassed this, month, this year's monthly average by 185 thousand. There were hefting increases in leisure and hospitality, healthcare, of course healthcare, and social assistance, as well as business and professional services payrolls. So and typically a- as we looked at GDP, I-, I think that's going to be a lagging indicator as folks get back to work. Uh what I I would like to have seen in this write-up from Reuters is was And this, this was our criticism during the Obama era, that the unemployment rate was dropping, but it wasn't because uh, individuals were finding work. It was because so many people were growing frustrated they weren't being counted anymore. Their, their, employ, or their, their unemployment benefits were running out, so they were dropping off the rolls and they weren't counted. And then they weren't jumping back into the labor force because they were so frustrated they just gave up. That the re that's the reason why the unemployment rate was dropping. It wasn't be, it, the number of folks who were no longer counted or dropping out far outnumbered those who were getting jobs in the era of Obama, and that what was that's what was driving the the skewed unemployment drops in the era of Obama. What I really like to see is is how the jobs added reflected against those who dropped out of the workforce. That would that would be very telling to me to see if, if this was actually something to crow about or not in the uh, first couple of months of the Trump administration. All right, coming up, Mary Ramirez will join us. We'll see what's on her mind uh, for the end of this week. And if I have time, real time with Bill Maher discussing President Obama's speeches his eight hundred thousand dollar speeches and liberals wondering out loud with mr Marr, when did we become a covet our, your 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 neighbor's wealth society <laughs> these liberals dared to ask that question on mars panel and oh we've got the answer it's coming up on the chris Salcedo show right here on the blaze radio network stick around folks i'll be right back
0: You're listening to The Chris Salcedo Show. Part of Generation
4: Blaze. On the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Chris Salcedo.
3: Before we get to Mary, uh, I checked... The U three and the U six numbers on the Bureau of Labor Statistics webpage, and compare them. Uh, compared April of last year, 2016, with uh, April of this year, and the U three unemployment number, which is the the fake unemployment rate, folks, it was 4.7 in uh, April of 2016. It's 4.4 now in the first couple of months of Trump. All right, so it's better year to year the u6 which is known as the real unemployment number which sits at nine what nobody ever talks about 9.3 percent during the era of obama has now dropped to 8.6 percent a year later under the first few months of trump so that's that's where our trajectory is the u6 number we're still at very high as far as real unemployment is concerned but there seems to be um Whereas Obama was getting, you know, 0.2, 0.3 improvements on the unemployment. And actually, there was actually one good, no, that's actually, that's not, that's not right because that's still, uh, unseasonally adjusted numbers for 2017. So, um, I had to do a comparative analysis. Uh, bup, 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 yeah, 19, see, yeah, there wasn't much movement. The real unemployment rate during the Obama era, uh, now there seems to be significant movement and real unemployment. Uh, let's talk uh, about some other issues of the day with Mary Ramirez, longtime contributor here to the Chris Salcedo Show. She's been with us almost since the very beginning, folks, and she joins me now via Skype. Hey, Mary.
4: Hey, Chris. Yeah, what's it been now? Like, is it is it almost two years or is it over two years? I'm losing track of time, but it's just flown. It's been a good. Well,
3: time. the the Salcedo <laughs> Show was born in September of 2013.
4: Yeah, I think I came on January 2014. So, yeah, we're coming up on, wow, yeah. that has gotten fast. <laughs> uh-huh.
3: Yeah, yes. Well, hey, now, now you have a child, so it's going to get in faster.
4: Um, oh, my gosh. Don't even tell me about it. <laughs> I know, right.
3: Okay, so what's going on? What are you writing about this week?
4: So, Jimmy Kimmel, everybody heard about Jimmy Kimmel. His monologue, his tearful monologue, um, Heartfelt, uh, it went viral mm-hmm. um, because his son, as everyone now knows, was was born with this really awful... Uh, heart condition that required immediate uh, attention, surgery, and life-saving surgery. And now the child is fine, which is great. But Kimmel used the experience um, to push social, very emotional, exactly to to push Obamacare. And his yeah. his premise was: had he and his wife not been rich, and if Obamacare didn't exist to protect them, had they been poor? Their son would have been left to die. And of course, you and I know that that's not only entirely false, but it's an intellectually lazy equivocation to to Obamacare. But that's actually not what my piece is about this week. I was I was actually watching um, The Foxes the Five and Dana Perino was talking about this. And she said, you know, the left is really good at storytelling conservatives and Republicans, not so much. We tend to talk about things in the context of numbers and statistics and facts and figures, which all important things, right? But the left is really, really, really good at tapping into the emotions. So here you've got this case where Jimmy Kimmel makes this false equivocation. I don't know necessarily if on purpose or if he just truly doesn't understand um, and, and uses the story of his son to to sell this point. And everybody goes, oh, my gosh, wow. And so the, the point of my piece is, We on the right have to start doing that because, you know, you people like you and me and and, and others like us, um, we enjoy reading the numbers and the facts and the figures, particularly as it pertains to Obamacare. We, We, you know, we'll go through and look at, wow, you know, X number of millions of people have seen their premiums increase or X number of millions of people have seen their deductibles increase or whatever that is. We don't tend to talk as much about the human collateral behind those numbers. And um, I was researching this piece, because I thought, you know, I'm going to highlight maybe five or six people and and tell their stories here. It's hard to find. I mean, you've got some, you know, you've got some stories that that people have written up. But um, and I think Cheryl Atkinson also has a page where people can can tell their stories. But by and large, you don't People aren't writing about that on our side. We're writing about facts and figures. So I'm trying to, with this piece, help people understand the importance of bringing in that human element. For example, um, I I did read a story about one guy whose premiums increased by $4,000 a year. Okay, well, if you're a family of four and you're making an average salary, maybe dad's, you know, it's a single income household, right? What, where, where do you get $4,000 more a year if you're living paycheck to paycheck, which apparently, according to a, a recent study, 60% or more of Americans are right. living paycheck to paycheck? What do you have to give up? What do your children go without? How many hours do you have to spend away from them while you're working some sort of second job? You know, what, is, what does job loss mean to a single mom? We hear about all these jobs that have been lost under Obamacare because of the regulations that have placed such burdens, on, especially on small businesses. Well, what does that single mom do? Do you go on food stamps? Do you, do you live out of your car? I mean, what, what do you lose? You know, um, what happens when you're in that coverage gap? You know, where where you make uh, uh, too much money to be helped by Medicaid, but too little to afford a plan under Obamacare. You're, you're stuck, and yet you never hear these stories. A- and as I point out in my piece, these are not anecdotal. You know, one person over here, one person. over These are millions of actual, real Americans who have seen these things come to fruition in their own lives. And, you know, I'm sitting here watching what the Republicans just did in Congress yesterday, which was essentially, as you discussed in your show, passed a bill that, that amends Obamacare. It doesn't address the core problems, and it won't make it through the Senate even if it did. But um, so you've got – you've essentially got Obamacare still in place, and you've got Democrats pushing for it to go back to where it was before. And 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 what I feel like we on the right need to be doing as we go through this discussion is not only talk about the facts and figures, but tell these stories because these are these are very real and actual people who are being affected by this gargantuan behemoth plan, and you know I just I don't I don't see that enough on our side.
3: And yeah, I, I think it's important. Well, you know what? And well, the problem with the storytelling on the on the Democrat side is is often. Uh, the story of the fairy tale variety, and and, right. and, 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 and that's and that's actually true. And I'm not, I, I'm actually trying to be a little snarky, but it's also very true. They often exaggerate, they often distort, and they often have their political agenda at the end of the day mm-hmm. to advance. And that's liberals right. always want to advance their political agenda.
4: And, 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 and let me make, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead.
3: Well, they they just want to make a, they want to make a play for power. Whereas we conservatives are kind of burdened with this whole uh, this whole truth thing, and when we win, more other people get more freedom. When the Democrats and the liberals win, people lose their freedom.
4: Right. Well, and I, I want to make something very very clear. When I'm talking about telling stories, I I am certainly not advocating that we tell stories for the sake of telling stories. You know, some sort of that we add or that I'm advocating some sort of Machiavellian do whatever you got to do to get whatever end you want to reach. I'm saying we tell we tell the truth and we tell these stories, as you just said, to advance freedom, not to push for for more power. If, if the story advances freedom, which I believe these millions of stories do, then we tell them. Um, but but it, you know, because really, we're, we're operating in a world. We have to remember this: we're operating in a world where millions of people saw Jimmy Kimmel and went, "Oh my gosh, I know. we can't repeal Obamacare. Yeah. My kid could die." That that's the kind of world we're, mm. you know, unfortunately. But that's the kind of world we're living in. We're living in a world where people operate by emotion. So, okay. Well, I I, we I told to I said this
3: yesterday that if, if the libs can guarantee me that, that uh, socialism will stop people from dying, uh, sign me up. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, shut up. Uh, Mary, what is the name of your piece?
4: Conservatives, It's Time We Learned How to Tell Stories. And that's on my blog, A Future Free. And I'll tweet that out after the segment.
3: Very good. Uh, thank you, lady. Have a great weekend. And we will retweet on the Chris Salcedo Show. Uh, that piece. Mary Ramirez, everybody. I'll be right back. We'll, um, we'll get into real time with Bill Maher. They, the, the liberals are, 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 wondering when we started getting into this whole, when do we start coveting our neighbors stuff? Mm. It's coming up. The Chris Salcedo show here on the blaze.
0: Telling the truth. It's one of those jobs. American liberals won't do. That's why we need the Liberty loving Latino. Chris Salcedo.
4: The Blaze Radio Network,
0: hundred thirty-three ninety-three. The Chris Salcedo Show.
2: Wait a second. The, the president, uh, the current president is trying to undo all of his Wall Street regulation. And then he goes to Wall Street and takes $400. Isn't that what sort of cost Hillary the election? Are those horrible speeches she made yeah, to but the Wall Street di- the and she differ- wouldn't release the transcripts of no, it? And- but the, well, it's
4: because the, the, she wouldn't release the transcripts. No, no, but
1: the difference is, are you in the pocket of right. Wall she Street?
4: Was <laughs>
3: you know who that was? Rob Reiner, Meathead. Rob Ryan. Then what's the difference? Are you in the pocket? So as long as Barack Obama tried to to shaft Wall Street, it was okay for Obama to take money from Wall Street? Is that what Meathead is talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Oh that this continued. For, and she's you know, running
2: for office. He's not running for anything right now right? and you and know He's not
4: going to. Yeah. Yeah. Now
2: it kind of looks like when he's on our team we're okay with it.
0: No no, I don't feel that way. <laughs> really? I mean if
2: But you could say that when when he when a guy is president, he's looking ahead to that $400,000, and he's not going to get it if while he's president, he's going to do something that's going to piss them off. So isn't the best thing to do? Take your $10 million book deal. Can't you live on that? Yeah, well...
4: I don't know when America became, I covet my neighbor's success country.
3: (laughs) Really? This left-wing kook, what did she say?
4: I don't know when America became, I covet my neighbor's success country.
3: Um, maybe she was absent the last eight years. Let me refresh your memory, sweetheart, about when America became the,
4: what did you call it? I don't know when America became, I covet my neighbor's success country.
3: I covet my neighbor neighbor's success country. Maybe it was, maybe it was here.
1: And right now, everybody's so pinched that business is bad for everybody. And and I think when you spread the wealth around, it's good for everybody. But I, listen, I, I respect what you do and I respect your question.
3: Yeah, spread the wealth around. Maybe it wasn't President Obama, uh, was was doing class warfare out there on the campaign trail. Maybe when is Obama when Obama said this? Hundreds of billions of dollars in cuts in spending, but it
0: also asks the wealthiest Americans and the biggest corporations to pay their fair share of taxes.
4: I don't know when America became I covet my neighbor's success country.
3: Maybe it was here.
0: Prosperity can't be just for CEOs and hedge fund managers. Democracy can't be just for billionaires and corporations. (laughs) Prosperity and democracy are part of your basic bargain, too. Yeah.
3: When did we start coveting our neighbor's success? Perhaps it was at the advent of the Democrat Party.
0: A lot of it would go to the top 1%. Pay attention here. Folks making more than $3 million a year, the top one-tenth of 1%, they would get a tax cut under Mr. Romney's plan that is worth almost a quarter of a million dollars, $250,000 they would save under his plan.
4: I don't know when America became I covet my neighbor's success country.
3: It's easy when Democrats st- became a major political party and when they started getting elected to high office. That's when, sweetie. That's when. I'm not going to have time to get into all of this report, but I, I mentioned this drives me nuts. When Congress, instead of doing what it should be doing, sticks their big nose into the private sector. They did this with airline CEOs. Fox News reported on this, and here's how it went. You know you're having a bad day when the group that's going to lecture you on customer satisfaction is the United States Congress.
4: Airline executives buckled up for a blistering hearing about how they treat their customers.
1: My first question I was going to ask, only so slightly in is why do you hate the American people?
4: You probably feel today like a lot of flyers, uh, very claustrophobic and
3: waiting for something bad maybe happen
4: executives from all major airlines were invited to testify before the house transportation and infrastructure committee but only four showed up american alaska southwest and of course united
3: united airlines of course with the the dragging of that customer off deltas in hot water this week kicked a family off their flight uh now, now i'm not defending the the airlines matter of fact uh, i think you know I, I can't stand flying anybody but southwest but the very idea that congress can bring these private sector ceos and uh, up to capitol hill and lecture them on how to run their business it's not your job in congress do your job you, it's not your job to tell these people how to run their companies if they want to Kick the garbage out of their customers. They're a private... They will not want to have many customers. Let them do it. It's not your... It's not your place. Whose CEO was skewered for his initial response
4: to a passenger being dragged off a plane to make room for more crew.
1: Could you tell us what you were thinking at that point? It was appalling. It was awful to watch that. It reminded me of a Trump campaign rally. Oh, jeez.
3: You people can't run your... Can't run this government. And you, you have the temerity to lecture... A private company and how to run theirs? I never want to see
0: a paying customer pulled off of a flight to move a crew.
3: Screw you. Who the heck are you, Congresswoman? I, I don't see CEO on your badge of anything. And I, I don't even know if she's a Republican or Democrat. I don't care. I don't want to see a paying customer ever again. Well, who the heck are you? Go get a job as a CEO, then you can make that call. Go prove you can run something else else other than a popsicle stand. Some Democrats can't even lay claim to that. They have no right to lecture these individuals on how to run their companies. How about this? You guys start running the Congress in this country correctly, then maybe you'll have room to lecture us in the private sector on how to run their companies. That's going to do it, everybody for The Chris Salcedo Show. Remember, society's worth isn't measured by how much power is seized by its government, but rather how much power is reserved for we the people. Have yourselves a great weekend. Stay safe. See you back here on Monday, 3 o'clock Eastern.
0: This is The Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network.